When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. It's time to get inside the Giants' home. Let's go, let's go, let's go. On Giants.com. I like it, I like it, I like it. And the Giants' mobile app. Give me some juice. Part of the Giants' podcast network. Let's roll. Welcome to another episode of the Giants' Huddle Podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York football Giants. John Schmelk, joined as always on our Wednesday edition of the Giants' Huddle Podcast by former Giants center and Super Bowl champion, Sean O'Hara. Hello, Sean. Hey, John. Happy New Year. Happy 2024 to you, brother. Yeah. Did you bring it in hard? We were asleep before the ball hit, my friends. Oh boy, spoken like a true dad. Yep, and Good job. my wife was getting back. She had taken the kids for a week uh, back home to visit her folks in the Midwest, so they landed around 8 o'clock on New Year's Eve. So they rolled in the house around 9.30. My wife was obviously, and this is not a criticism, I would have done the same thing. Dad, here are the kids get in the bed. I'm laying down. <laughs> and I don't blame her. She was with the kids by herself for a week. I would have done the same thing. So I, I, you know, did all the kids and everything. And then she was asleep on the couch by the time I came back downstairs. Oh, we went upstairs great. and we were done. That's it was great. over. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> New Year's is a, is a great holiday. And the older you get, the more you kind of gauge it by how much, how early you get to bed, how much sleep you get. And how good you feel the next day. Like when you're young, yeah, you're totally fine with feeling like crap on New Year's Day because you just say, "I'm going to watch college football," and hopefully you don't have a whole lot to do. But yeah, when you have kids, it's a totally different mindset. I will also throw another wrinkle into this: if you have dogs, New Year, even if you go to bed early at midnight, everybody starts firing, doing fireworks, and all of a sudden the dogs just start going nuts. Sean, let me tell you and something. Let me tell you that's that that is a thorn in the side of every dog owner. I love my dog. He is awesome in so many ways. The way he might be the most awesome, he does not care about fireworks. We bring him outside on the 4th of July, nice. and he watches them with us. Wow, you're lucky. He does not give two you-know-whats about fireworks. And This is my theory, and it's probably nonsense. But when he was a puppy, and I mean to the point we got him very young. He was like eight or nine weeks to the point where we lived in the city at that point. So we couldn't even walk him because he hadn't gotten all those shots yet. So if he ate something right. wrong off the ground, yeah. he could get like some weird disease and like die. So we would have to carry him around. He was eight pounds. So you'd like, carry him like a football, right? He's a French bulldog. He's like 30 pounds now. I'm visualizing you walking yes. down the street with a, carrying a, a dog. Oh, I was the most popular person in the neighborhood. <laughs> we would, you would get stopped every 10 feet because, because the puppy's so cute. So we would walk him around and, you know, it's Upper West Side. Ambulances, oh, yeah. fire trucks crazy people on the corner you know whatever and i think he just got so used to all the noises at yeah. that young of an age that 
nothing bothers him. The only thing that bothers him, bags. Like, if we have a bag on the floor and it tips over, hmm. it's like he's in, like, Scatters. full, like, Secret Service protect the president mode. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that bothers him. Oh, anyway. Uh, interesting. Yes. Right, good. You've got your dog well-conditioned. Yes. He's, we're, we're, we're lucky. He's, sit, he's, Ubu. He's sit. Awesome. Good dog. Woof. Now, I'm sure, like, 90% of it all is have no yeah. idea where that's no, from, by the way. No, the, the, those, those millennials <laughs> and Gen X, <laughs> no they have no clue what no we just idea. did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Speaking of which... Giants, boy, Sean, it's funny. And this is kind of a big picture joke for the fans out there. It was almost the perfect result for the fans that care about draft position because you have a game mm-hmm. where you play well. There's a lot of good things they take out of the game. You make a lot of plays, but you just missed a kick at the end. <laughs> and you So you could say, yeah, we played well. It was good football. You, you know, guys played well. But, you know, we lose the game at the end. You maintain your draft position. But from an in-the-building playoff player perspective, boy, I mean, so many good plays you look back at, but they get overshadowed by some of the mistakes, whether it's penalties or drops or bad throws, missed opportunities that just took away a chance to beat a, a team that was playing some pretty good football in the Rams. Yeah, John, this feels like deja vu. Like this, We said the same thing after the Philly loss in Week 16. Like They yeah. had a chance to win that game. They had ample opportunities to beat the Rams. And you're talking about the missed kick at the end uh, to win the game, the two-point conversion that – you know, it was a great play design, great play call, and just can't we just can't make the two yard pass. Like Chuck Knobloch can't make the throw from second to first. Tyrod just could not get that done. And it's a shame because Tyrod made some unbelievable throws, some unbelievable plays. I mean, that throw to Darius Slayton was one of the prettiest passes I, I think I've seen all year long. And that's not just with the Giants. That's like the entire NFL. Dude, how about we're not really talking about that. later in the game? I mean, yeah. he did some really nice throws. Even the throw it, to start the game up the sideline that went through Hyatt's mm-hmm. hands and kind of went through his legs, like that was a, a great throw. That so, one to Slayton, by the way, was 61 yards in the air. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame because, you know, really the Rams are a playoff team. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're in the playoffs, and yet the Giants – should have beaten them. And you could say that about a lot of games this year. I mean, they should have beat the Jets, the Bills in Buffalo. They should have won that game. Um, you know, even the Philly game that I just referenced, like they had a chance to win that game too. And it's just a couple of situational things, the third and shorts, the, um, you know, the, the, the situations that they're just not capitalizing on is what's costing them. And it's tough when it's the same recurring theme. Um, I know it's frustrating for the players and the coaches, but, you know, that's just kind of, when you look at where the team is at right now, those self-inflicted mental errors, um, hiccups, whatever you want to call them, uh, that's what's costing them games. And it's it's not that they're not talented enough to win these games. They just they're just playing bad ball at the worst possible time. So, and I guess that would be my question for you. Then, how do you correct those things? Because it's easy if you come out of a game, a team rushes for three hundred yards on you. You're like, all right, well, we got to play the run better, right? But if it's individuals not executing plays in the case of Tyrod missing the two-point conversion, Barkley dropping the slant, Hyatt dropping the pass outside. And it's just one player here or there, but they're doing good stuff otherwise. How as a player do you go about trying to protect that, uh, trying to correct that stuff? I go back to what Evan Ingram is here, right? He did so many things well, but there were just times in the most important situations that he failed to come up with the ball when they needed it. How do you go about trying to fix that stuff when it's not an endemic issue and it's just some plays here or there that are killing you. 
Yeah, it's a great question. There, there's no magic formula for that. I mean, look, the preparation is there, and I'm sure they'll all tell you, hey, look, we're watching film, like the kids are studying, like they're, they're paying attention on the field, um, and when, when there's teaching moments, you know, it just comes down to the focus and the execution on game day, and that's, you know, that really comes with confidence, but I feel like when there's an accountability aspect, I always put the onus on the players, and that peer pressure from your teammates is paramount like it's one thing if your mom tells you to clean your room and it's like she's got to say it three times when your brother comes over to you and says hey clean your damn room like it resonates differently so i feel like that peer pressure and the accountability it has to come from the team it has to come from the players it has to come from when you're in the offensive huddle like man i do not want to make a mental mistake like getting beat physically happens in the nfl and everybody can live with that because we know those guys are getting paid too but when you beat yourself now all of a sudden that's embarrassing and i think that not that you want to embarrass players in front of each other but the accountability factor is real and i remember when i played for the cleveland browns bruce arians used to have a sheet of paper and he would put it up on the overhead projector some of you may not know what that is but it would basically reflect whatever was on the projector onto the wall and he would put a list after every practice any mental errors any penalties mm. your name was on that list and the start of the season, there'd be 20 guys on that list. And, and he said, look, this is week one. Like, by the time we get to week 10, there should be two names on here. And that kind of became, you know, you see the same names over and over and over again. It kind of becomes like, all right, you know, who, who's the dummy? Like, who's been on there every single week? Right. You don't want that. You don't want to be on that. So I think there's ways to try to, uh, you know, kind of add some some good peer pressure with that. Um, but I'll always put it on like the team, the accountability factor, um, that standard of excellence. It's got to come from the players. It's got to come from the huddle. Um, and it's got to come from the leaders. You love turf. You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows. Your savings grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings? You know, it's funny you say that, and it's somewhat unrelated because these are execution mistakes, not effort mistakes. But if you recall right. a few weeks ago when George Pickens was caught not blocking, right? And he basically, I think he said, like, I, you know, I don't want to risk getting hurt or, yeah. or whatever. So Daniel Jeremiah relayed a story. Um, he was talking to James Lofton, Hall of, Fame, NFL, Hall of Fame NFL receiver, used to be a wide receivers coach too. And he asked him, this was on the Move the Sticks podcast, and he asked him, well, you know, James, what would you do for a guy like Pickens? You go into the meeting room with the wide receivers the next day. What do you do? He goes, oh, that's easy. I pause the meeting. I take George Pickens out of the meeting. I walk him down to the running backs room. I open the door, and I say, George, why don't you explain to these guys why they're not worth blocking for? Mm. Yeah. And that's powerful. Then what the hell are you? What, then what do you yeah. say to that? Yeah. And I think I w- I just thought that kind of spoke to how you get the player to player accountability that that can sometimes be more impactful than the coaches even. Yeah, I, I think that's a great case study. In look, I, I don't want to let you down, and I also like you know it's that team above self mentality. Like I'm as an offensive lineman, it's kind of already wired into you. Like you want to protect your quarterback, protect your your running back. Sometimes th- those other positions they don't have that same mm-hmm. core value because it's they, they don't understand the ripple effect that it has. If oh hey. You know, I'm just thinking about myself, but that's that's a, cha- a challenge throughout the league because today's NFL is all about your own brand. So coaches, that's one of the biggest challenges they have is how do I get everybody to buy into the team concept? Hell, and when college is like that now too with the NIL. Yeah, right? NIL deals it. So it's it's or it's going to get worse yeah. because now these kids are conditioned in college that 
hey, look, the team bowl game, I'm not even playing in that game. Like, mm-hmm. look what happened with Florida State. Like, guys are opting out of the bowl game. So, and dude, guys that are like it's not about the team third in and college. fourth round picks, not even like first rounders are opting out right. of these games. It's crazy. So, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's 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 almost become an, an epidemic from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's where you've got to have the right guys, and you got to have you know everybody's got to care about the same things, um, and certainly. You, you hope that the guys in the locker room care about each other. I feel like the guys in the Giants locker room do. Yeah. And you see the way that they're playing week in and week out. Um, you know, even, you know, against the Rams and even against Philly. Like, it, it, they knew that the, the playoffs were not um, in the future and that's not something you're playing for. But you're playing for pride and you're playing to protect your teammates. So um, I feel like I see that from the Giants. Like, they, they are playing for each other and they're playing for the coaches. Um, but that's that's a challenge that only gets is only going to get harder with these college kids. John Soto Podcast is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. From game day to every day, Citizens is made ready for Giants fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at citizensbank.com. Sean, let's go to the offensive line. They give up six sacks. We actually just watched all six of them before we got going here. And I think a constant source of that pressure and those sacks this week, and I think if you go back for especially the second half of the season, a lot of it's coming inside. You don't see a lot of stuff come from the outside and, you know, getting sacked around the edge, which is a credit to Andrew Thomas and Tyree Phillips, who unfortunately tore his quad in the game. So, you know, he's not going to play in this game. It'll probably be Matt Parrott out there. But the interior offensive line play continues to be an issue. And, yeah, we talk about the stunts and twists all the time, but we're seeing plays where these guys are getting just beat one-on-one as well. So how do you view that? Is that just something that needs to get improved? moving forward from like a talent perspective is how do you view the issues that they've been having in the middle of this line yeah it's frustrating to watch especially this late in the year you know guys getting beat right now like that shouldn't be happening like you know i look at ben bredersen had a tough game against philly a couple weeks ago john michael schmitz probably had his worst game of the season against the rams and again and these are good players they're playing against but still they are good players and you know for john michael schmitz he's a rookie he's still learning some of the the arts and crafts of the game and the and how to master all of that and you know when it's a center and guards anytime there is any kind of stunts or movements or twists you have to be on the same page and that they just haven't been on the same level to pass a lot of those off but you know, coming into the game, it was, you know, man, Aaron Donald can wreck the game. It wasn't Aaron Donald that wrecked the game. It was Kobe Turner. And, you know, look, now he's in the conversation for Rookie of the Year. And, you know, he's kind of flown under the radar because when everybody thinks about the Rams, they think of 99. But 91 was damn near unblockable at times. And he beat everybody. He was beating the left guard. He beat John Michael Schmitz. He beat Bredesen. Um, you know, he beat Pugh on, on, on a couple times too. So when you have interior pressure, it's impossible for the quarterback to get away from that. Like that, that is the death sentence as a quarterback. Pressure in the A and the B gap, they cannot run away from it. They can't throw over it. They can't escape it. And it, it wrecks everything. So it's an area that the Giants have to improve. Um, I, I think that, look, technique is part of it. Um, the most disappointing thing, to your point, a lot of those were four man rushes. And when you have a four man rush, your quarterback should be able to sit back there and, and eat a cupcake. He should have plenty of time. You've got an extra blocker. They're also getting chips from the running back to help out the tackles. Um, so it, it's unfortunate that this late in the season, that's still a hiccup and still an issue. Um, and then you compound that with Tyree Phillips going down. Tyree Phillips has become, he had become one of the Giants' most consistent blockers. He'd really solidified that tackle position when he took over the starting role for Evan Neal when he got hurt. And to see a guy like that go down, it, it's a tough blow. Um, but I think, you know, there, there's only one way to get better at that. Like, you just need more reps. Like these guys need, they need more reps. 
you need it takes time to develop that and to, to develop that chemistry. Um, you know, unfortunately, the time is running out on this season. Um, but I, I fully expect the Giants to address the guard position in the offseason. Then the run game, Sean. This is one of those games where it seemed like Saquon would either gain 10 or he gained 1 or 0 or negative yards. For an offensive line, how do you view a game like that when you have some explosive runs that pop? And, you know, again, you gain 10, 11, 12 yards. But then you have way too many ones that either don't gain yards at all and you lose something or you're only getting 1 or 2. Yeah, I think the negative runs and the tackles for loss, like th- that, that is unacceptable. So you would trade some of the explosives to to, to get into second and six, right? Yeah, because you, you can't you can't overcome the second and twelve, you know, the second and thirteen. You can't, you know, that that's just bad football. And look, if you get one or two yards, you know, like now all of a sudden second and eight, okay, you can run it again, and now you're in third and short, third and manageable. But it really just sets you uh, behind the sticks, and you're behind the eight ball when you get that, the tackles for loss. So. I've always felt, said that if you want to be a good running football team, you have to have two good guards. Like the guards are the ones that create movement at the point of attack, whether it's you know downhill running, you know the double teams moving the defensive tackles back at the linebackers, or it's zone getting them running laterally to create a seam and create a crease. Um, you have to have good guards, and that's really where the Giants have struggled this year. They have not had really physical play from the guards. They have not had huge creases. They have not been able to edge the defense from the guard position. And that's why we're seeing, you know, some of the the tough running plays. Um, I also feel like Saquon, to me, has always been a better running back from the home position. When you offset him in shotgun run. When you, you say home position, explain to fans what you mean. Home by position that. means he's behind the center, behind the quarterback. The Giants, we don't run a lot of under the center running plays. If the quarterback's under center and the running back is behind him, he's in the home position now. He has a chance to press the hole and cut back. And when you're in a shotgun formation and the running back is offset, now his point of entry is a lot tougher. That changes the angle. He can no longer cut back. He can cut up, but he can't cut back because you can't ask a running back to take the handoff, go this way, and completely change direction. So you're almost kind of shrinking the running lanes for the running back. And I feel like Saquon needs that extra time to really see the hole and see it develop. So um, that to me is that's just a scheme fit, um, and it's something that you know I think that they need to work on and they need to find a way to get better at. But no doubt, you know, having guys, you know, the, the oh man, my bad moments, like my bad, I didn't get to the linebacker, right. and you know we saw that two weeks ago, Shaq. Uh, Shaq Leonard was, you know, making all kinds of tackles in the backfield. We couldn't get to the second level against Philly in Week 16. So it's something that needs to be addressed and needs to be fixed. Would the pistol work for that? Pist- if you, if pistol you want helps. To play the gun, would, yeah, would, that's would the pistol why be a solution. I, I think pistol helps because now you do have that two-way go. You know, when the running back's on one side of, of the quarterback, now the defense knows like if it's a run, it's only going to this side. Like you're not going to run it to that side if he's on your left. So it kind of it, they know, all right, if the running back starts going downhill, I know where you know where it's going. If he's in the home position, the pistol, like you're saying, now it's a two-way go. I don't know. Maybe they, are they going weak? Are they going strong? So there's a little bit of an element of disguise there. You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with citizens. So go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings? Giants fans love a winner. It's why they love Citizens. They named a 2022 Best Bank in the U.S. by The Banker. As the official bank of the Giants and sponsor of the huddle, Citizens is made ready for fans of Big Blue. Learn more at citizensbank.com. All right, let's jump ahead to the Eagles right here, Sean. And 
they real I realized they beat the Giants a couple weeks ago, but they are really. I mean, you talk to people that cover the team down there, and it is not a good situation in in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they not only lose to Arizona after being up, I think it was twenty to three at one point in that game, right? The Falcon, the, the Falcons, the Cardinals outgained them by yeah. almost one hundred and seventy five yards in the game. Yeah, I mean they run for for over two hundred yards. Yeah, that's unheard of, right there. Two hundred two hundred yards on a, on a defense is a gut punch, you know. And against that front. James Conner is a tough running back. I mean, look, he, he gets downhill. But Arizona, like, when you think of them, you don't think of them as a run-first team. You know, like with Kyler Murray, like, they've kind of always been a, a pass-first offense. Um, so, yeah, no doubt about it. Look, and nobody's going to feel sorry for the Eagles at all. Like, we love this, right? We're, we're, we're reveling in their dysfunction right now. Um, but it was the offense that was stagnant and that was really struggling. And then all of a sudden, hey, Jalen Hurst throws three touchdown passes. And now all of a sudden, all right, the offense is scoring points. And then the defense can't get off the field. So, look, this Eagles defense has been a problem all season long. Mm -hmm. They have 11 sacks since week 10. This is the same defense that was trying to break the sack record last year. They had 70 70 sacks. So that is definitely an issue. They're not getting to the quarterback. And in week 16, look, they only had one sack against the Giants, which, you know, in the previous matchups, it had been, you know, a revolving door uh, at who wanted to sack the quarterback next. So that's an issue. And then, really, the pass defense has really struggled. They've given up a ton of big pass plays. Um, they, they, they've been one of the worst pass defenses in the league yeah, this Darius year. Darius Slay not going to play again this week. Apparently. And Slay's out again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, things are bad when you, you kind of reshuffle the coaching staff. They, they already had elevated Matt Patricia to call in the defensive signals. Um, and even that hasn't worked. So, look, there's a lot going on for the Eagles on both sides of the ball. Um, but... I, I still think when you look at Philly on paper, like they're still one of the most talented teams in the league. And, you know, you, you hope when you play them that they don't figure it out when you're playing them. Don't be the get right game for them. Don't man. be the, yeah, don't don't be be, the get but, right game. You know, if, but for the Giants, again, it's for the, you know, second week in a row now here, you're playing a playoff team and you have a chance to kind of wreck things for them. So, um, you know, look, obviously Philly, you know, they're hoping that they can win the game. And then if Dallas loses, now Philly could jump back into that two seed. Good luck to Dallas um, losing to Washington, by the but, way. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's probably – that shouldn't happen either. Uh, but Then again, for, Philly lost to Arizona last week, so who the hell knows? Yeah, and and, and Dallas lost to Arizona too. So, you know, the, the NFL is, is tough to predict this year. But I, I think the Giants, you know, right now without Tyree Phillips, he kind of solidified the offensive line against Philly – in week 16 and he knows philly really well he was on the practice squad so that's going to be a huge loss it's a big game for matt parrott you know he's going to be up at right tackle hassan reddick um is not having quite the production that he had last year but he's still an impact player and he can wreck a game apparently he got dropped into coverage like 10 times or 11 times last week looking at some of the event stats which is surprising and it's funny parrott on the big tyrod taylor scramble I thought they could have got Parrott for an offensive holding on that play. Yeah. He kind of got beaten inside, yeah. and he put the little arm around the waist there. Yeah. And and the defensive lineman tried. He did the yeah, whole he did the flop. One yeah. of those where he's trying to get the, the officials' attention. Two. Yes, correct. Yeah. But it wasn't called, thankfully, unlike a couple of the holds earlier in the game, which I'm sure as an offensive lineman drove you nuts a little bit. Yeah. Um, the one thing I want to ask you about, actually, and, and then we'll say goodbye. The Bellinger hold, right? That was on, I believe, the Hyatt deep post, if yeah. I recall. Yeah. You had a blitzing linebacker. And the blitzing linebacker did a, what's called the rip move. For the fans that don't know, that's when you try to get your arm underneath the offensive lineman's shoulder, right, yeah. to kind of get around his, his edge. And, you know, Bellinger ended up kind of getting his arm around his shoulders a little bit near the neck area, and they called a hold on him. 
And yeah, you see that looks like a hole, but I thought one of the points of emphasis this year, Sean, I want you to talk about this as an offensive lineman. When the defensive player uses a rip move, yeah. it kind of puts the offensive player into a bad situation because you can't square them up like this, right? So you kind of have to almost hook them. And I didn't think they were supposed to call those if the defensive player used a rip move. Right, and the tough thing with that is if, if you don't see the rip move, then you don't know that. So the, so the ref has to see that whole play, which right. they so th don't always see. Um, you know, I also think it's kind of like, was that defender actually going to make the play? Like, you know, because there's a lot of times where you see a guy flop and it's like he wasn't even going to make the tackle anyways. But because they just see the, the guy going to the ground or being restricted, the flag has to come out. So it was definitely an unfortunate call. Um, you know, and for Bellinger, that's one of those things where, like, I'm sure he feels like it. You know, they could have let that go. Like, it, it it didn't really, I didn't really restrict him, and I didn't. You know, it, it wasn't like he was gonna make the sack if I hadn't uh, hadn't find a way to to, to kind of grab him a little bit. So tough play, and, and tough that it came on a big play too. Yeah, I'd like to do something next week with you. If not in the building, then over Zoom. If you think you can squeeze us in next week, yeah, I might. Uh, I might be able to squeeze something in. You know, we should have some free time next week. We can Zoom it. All right, deal. All right, Sean O'Hara, John Schmell, Giants Little Podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Football Giants. Final week of the year, everybody. Giants and Eagles at MetLife Stadium at four twenty-five. Check us out. We appreciate you being with us. We'll see you next time. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.